This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the 2018 Launchpad Pilots Competition. Now in their fifth year, the Launchpad competitions have helped 254 writers get signed, 81 projects get set up, 48 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. When you enter your pilot script this year, you'll save $15 off your entry just by using the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout. There's a special thank you to our listeners. For more information on the tracking board's current competitions and exclusive partners, visit tblaunchpad.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about being a TV showrunner's assistant with two very special guests, Sydney Mitchell, who's a showrunner's assistant on NCIS New Orleans and previously on Outcast, and Zamran Jacob, who was a showrunner's assistant on Marvel's The Punisher. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us. All right, <laughs> let's get into it. So first up, just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. Where are you from and how did you end up here? I'll go first, I guess. So I'm originally from Sacramento. Uh, I went to college. I went to NYU. I was in their Tisch program. I was in a tiny little subset that a lot of people haven't heard of called dramatic writing. And that is purely for the kids out of high school who are like, no, no, I don't want to direct or produce. I purely just want to write. <laughs> um, so I graduated. I was like, I don't want to be broke and a poor artist in New York. I'd rather be a poor artist in LA. <laughs> so I moved to LA and slowly bounced around from, I was like a receptionist at a graphic effects company. And then I was a coordinator at a management company and slowly just worked my way up the writing office totem pole from writer's PA to now I'm currently a showrunner's assistant. I mean, uh, for me, I uh, started writing when I was about 17. I got into the USC summer seminars program where I met my one of my mentors who wrote me a letter of rec for USC and Chapman, and I ended up going to Chapman for screenwriting as well. Moved out to Los Angeles about five years ago. I was a PA for three years on pretty much anything that I could do. And then I finally got to Gaumont in 2015, where I worked on Hannibal and Narcos, Hemlock Grove. And then from there, one of our EPs on Hannibal moved over to run the Punisher and the head of production referred me over and that's how I got onto the Punisher. Have you always wanted to work in TV? Did you have any inspirations or favorite TV shows growing up? Um, actually growing up, I was really into books and I was a bookworm. And when I got to college, I graduated wanting to write features. And it wasn't until I moved to LA that I was like, whoa, there's so many more TV jobs. TV is amazing. And that's when all the really good content started coming out. I'd say the TV show that kind of inspired me a lot was uh, Dexter. But it was like, I was like, wow, there can be a central character who is a little crazy and really awesome. And like, it's very dark and twisted. And that's definitely my bread and butter. And so that kind of made me want to get more involved in the TV world. Not to mention TV is actually like growing up when I was reading books, I would devour like trilogies or it's like, oh, are there eight books in the series? Awesome. It'll never end. And mm -hmm. so I feel like TV shows are kind of similar. <laughs> and now they're turning all of those into shows. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like I get to revisit all of them. I had a very similar experience. I mean, we all kind of start off as cinephiles and we kind of watch the classic movies and you see a lot of the movies are kind of going in that direction as well like fast and the furious i think of as a as a tv show that they make for 200 million dollars each time like, <laughs> with the same characters and the same situations and the same themes but I, I was a cinephile and i love to watch classic movies and when i moved out to los angeles everybody who was encouraging me to write features or mentoring me while i was writing features said oh write this that's very very much in a box write a genre film for a very low budget and i kind of didn't want to play in the box so when, t you know, TV kind of had its own renaissance, I decided to uh, try my hand in that arena. So for those who don't know, what is a showrunner? And just briefly, because we can get into more later, what does the role of a showrunner's or executive producer's assistant entail? So a showrunner is pretty much the head writer and person who has say over every aspect of the show. They're the ones who approve all the costumes, all the buttons on the coats. They approve all the casting choices. They approve locations. They have not only final say over every single script, and they usually end up rewriting a lot of the scripts, but they just are very hands-on on every aspect of the show. So that's the showrunner. And then as the assistant, it's kind of like training ground for 
hopefully one day becoming a showrunner because you get to listen in on or you get to be cc'd on not only all those emails about casting and locations and wardrobe and all that stuff but you also get to listen in on notes calls regarding outlines and scripts you get cc'd on all the different versions of the scripts you get to listen sometimes if your showrunner is nice, they let you sit in the writer's room. So maybe you can listen to how the room is run. Sometimes they let you sit in on editing, which is amazing too, because post is such a different world. And it is really the third rewrite of the show. Your role as showrunner's assistant is just to help make the showrunner's life easier because they're already dealing with so much. I agree with all that. I mean, I think of the showrunner as a CEO of a corporation that's just raised tens of millions of dollars from the network and <laughs> is trying to make a TV show with all that money. I mean, my, my experience was very similar. It was a lot of scheduling. It was a lot of screening calls. It was sometimes rolling calls. It was sitting in the writer's room, going and doing errands. By being in the writer's room, you get to kind of see how it's all done. Being in the editing room, you get to see a little bit of what the showrunner is thinking while he's editing. It's basically just being kind of the intermediary between the showrunner and the rest of the world. Because the showrunner's time is so valuable that you don't want to waste a second of it. And if you can take something off of his or her plate, you want to do that. Uh, I will add some showrunners don't write. Some showrunners are strictly there to produce the show and be the producing head, but they have somebody else to go off and write it. Could you speak to the differences between being a showrunner's assistant and other assistants involved in the show, like a writer's assistant or maybe more traditional executive assistants? Well, so the writer's assistant mostly just takes notes for everything that happens in the room. The showrunner's assistant is a little bit more involved in production. So like Sydney said, you'll be in notes calls. You can be in a pitch. I mean, everybody's in a pitch, but specifically the showrunner's assistant can be in art department meetings, special effects meetings, stunts meetings, all the production heavy meetings. The writer's PA kind of fills in all the other gaps as far as going and getting the lunch, whatever else the first two assistants can't do. Obviously, you have the script coordinator who... Uh, yeah, so I would say the script coordinator is actually the most unknown job. Like, people have the most questions about it. And what they do is they pretty much edit every single script, every draft, every new page for typos and continuity errors. They also deal a lot with clearances. So, like, every time you mention, like, Batman or a brand or even somebody's name, they have to run it through legal and make sure that legally the show can mention it. Or that that name doesn't belong to a serial killer or someone <laughs> where they're like, we don't want to use this name. And so the script coordinator has to deal with all of the clearances, finding alternative names if they don't clear. And their job is the one that definitely requires a certain set of skills. And they're the ones who are mostly on call 24-7 because they have to put out pages nights, weekends, whenever they come out. And the Shorna's assistant and Rudis PAs are the last assistants not to be unionized as of today. So maybe one, one day. I, know, pretty crazy. One day. I, I was actually I was trying to, I was at those union meetings and uh, I guess we just didn't have enough showrunners assistants that wanted to unionize. I think it's also because some showrunners assistants are paid through the show. Some showrunners assistants are paid through showrunners overall deals with the mm-hmm. networks. And so it's hard legally to figure out where the money's coming. So what does a typical day look like for a showrunners assistant? Let's say it's 8am or 9am, you get into the office, go, take us from there. So on my show, you get in, nobody's there. I try to get in early (laughs) and that's my, that's me time. I'm like, I catch up on all the emails. I figure out what meetings are set for that day. I usually set alarms because I'm terrible and I always forget. On my show, the writers show up around 10 a.m. and they work until about five and our room pretty much works through lunch. We eat lunch together. It's a very community room. And the showrunner, sometimes he spends the morning at home writing, fixing up whatever episode is coming out next. It depends on the day, but some days there's a lot of production meeting calls. And that's like to discuss, there's like concept meetings and casting meetings and all that stuff. And so sometimes he's either calling in from his car to hop on those, or sometimes they like video conferencing so they can see everybody. There's new things that happen every day and every day it changes. Some days it's very hectic and it's like, get this person, get this person, hop on this call, go over to editing, the writers need you. And then other days it's like, oh, Nothing's happening right now. I'm going to go sit in the room for a few hours. (laughs) I mean, it's it's true. I I think of it as two different periods because I worked with Netflix. It was a Marvel Netflix property. We had a period where we just spent writing the scripts. So in those times, it would be come to work. Not much is on the schedule except for maybe like director meetings, editor meetings, whoever we needed to staff before we started to shoot so we could lock down schedules. Those days were just, hey, you know, you have this meeting at three o'clock and it's about 2.55, so you might want to head down. So a lot of it was making sure your boss is where they need to be, when they need to be. And if they need to run a little bit late, you need to communicate that 
with the studio or whomever needs to know. Uh, and then, I mean, once you're in production, there's so much that production entails that the showrunner could be anywhere, could be writing from home, could be at the office at seven o'clock in the morning, could be working late hours into the night. It's much harder to predict during production or we shot in New York. So the showrunner might be in New York and I had to be at least attentive on New York times. And those days are make sure that if the phone rings that you're there or if the boss shoots you an email that you can respond quickly. You actually bring up a really good point too about there is a difference between cable shows and network shows on how they're run. The last show I worked on was called Outcast and it was on Cinemax. So it was a 10 episode order and it took us an entire year to do it. And it's crazy because in an entire year, you still are running late. And you're like, how did we not finish all of our scripts on time? Um, and now, having been on a network show where it's like we do 22 to 24 episodes in the same year, it is a machine. It is a beast that just keeps going. And if you do not keep on top of it, it will roll you over. <laughs> um, and so when I was an assistant on the cable show, it was just like you were saying, where like the room is up and running for like 20 weeks or whatever, and you hope that you finish all the scripts in time. A lot of times production kicks into gear once the writer's room is winding down, and hopefully you have like six or seven scripts in the hopper and you can just dive right in. On a network show, the writer's room and production pretty much run simultaneously the entire time. And so at the end of our season, we'll probably be writing <laughs> the 22nd episode like a week before we're gonna film it and like, two weeks before it's going to be delivered. <laughs> but yeah, they they definitely run at different paces, yeah. um, but they still definitely both become very hectic at times. I, it, it's funny because our, our some of our writers came from network shows and they would marvel at how, oh, you know, we're writing this episode in one month that shoots five months later. Yeah. And they, yeah. they were very happy about that. And it, it, it kind of created a... Uh, relaxed environment where they could create at the highest level it's funny yeah i'm on a show right now where the episode is being written won't be shot for like almost a year or so yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. which the one downside of that i will say if you're a writer on the show is that a lot of times you're contracted for like 20 weeks you write your episode and then it shoots like five or six months later and so you don't really get to go to set right. and so a lot of times by the time the episode airs and people are like how did it turn out? And you're kind of like, I have no idea. I wrote it half a year ago and I'm on a new show. And uh, Yeah, it's true. And also times change. I mean, they wrote The Punisher in 2016. This was all before the Vegas shooting. A lot oh, of incidents no, yeah. that kind of happened. Something like that was always in our mind. But you write it for a particular zeitgeist. And if the times change, then the writing might or might not resonate as powerfully. So what are your hours like? Are you on call 24 uh, seven? How does it evolve in the process between prep, production, post? I feel very lucky because the show I'm on, both the EP and then also the showrunner, they have families. They love their families. They love to go home and eat dinner with their families. Um, <laughs> Weirdos. <laughs> I know, so strange. But because of that, my hours are usually, I usually try and get in by 9 a.m. and I'm usually out by 7, which is amazing. I do have some friends who are showrunner's assistants who they not only handle a lot of the show's assistant needs, but then also they are personal assistants. And so they're on call more 24 seven. And so not only are they taking notes on meetings and things like that, but they're also still picking up the dry cleaning and scheduling birthday parties and stuff. So you kind of still have to be a jack of all trades, even though you're a showrunner's assistant. Uh, I think that's true. My experience was like, I would get to the office around 930. And then on a good day, we would end around 536. And then I would be out maybe half an hour after the showrunner left, or sometimes I would stay at the office until seven, but usually we wouldn't run too late. It, it all depended on whether or not it was a long day, if, if everybody was in Los Angeles or if somebody was in New York. It depended on a, a number of different factors. And I've definitely heard that comedy rooms do have a tendency to run later. They kind of run later and they're running jokes till midnight. <laughs> oh That's gosh. what part of me is like, keep me in drama. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like punch-ups and rewrites. It's yeah. so much more in comedy. So how do you uh, go about actually communicating and keeping in touch with your boss throughout this process? A big one was email. Usually it's, if you can put it all in one email, that's best. You know, you want to have as few demands on your boss's time as possible. Or if you have a bunch of issues, you want to try to consolidate them into one list. If I'm right next to him in the room and something comes up and I see it on my the email on my phone, I'll just look over at him and say, hey, this is what's happening. Like, what do you think? And he'll give me his answer right there. So usually in person and email are my favorite ways of contact. 
Yeah, so definitely you use any method possible, <laughs> whatever works. So sometimes you shoot them an email, and if you need an immediate reply and they don't respond, like you're like, okay, I'm going to give them 15 minutes, and then I'm going to text them, and then I'm going to give them five minutes, and then I'm going to call them <laughs> if it's really urgent. But you definitely have to be mindful of the showrunner's time, and like you said, condense, and try and interrupt them as little as possible. You know, sometimes they're on email, sometimes they're on text, and sometimes they're good at answering their phone, and you just have to... Try them all if sometimes. What about Twitter? <laughs> Tweet at them. Doing an AMA or whatever. Like, what would you like for lunch? Yes, yes. On Reddit. Oh, yeah. How much time do you actually spend by your boss's side versus working independently? I actually don't spend a lot of time by my boss's side. He is very much like a mentor and encourages me to be part of the process as much as I can. But he bounces around so much. And my boss writes from home a lot. And he sometimes is over in post for like eight hours a day. And I kind of don't want to sit over there for eight hours a day. So I'd say maybe like 30% of the time do I have him within reaching distance or yelling distance. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, when my boss was in the writer's room, it was 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Like if he's somewhere close to the writer's room, then I would be with him pretty close to 100% of the time. Or if he needed to go into his office, then I would be just outside. So yell something <laughs> if he needed something. You know, just be like, hey, Zim, like X, Y, and Z, whatever. You know, if he's in New York, obviously 0% of the time. And if, if he's in meetings all day, then he, he'll go into the meetings and, and I, I, I won't come with him. Yeah, that kind of leads me to this question. How much input or creative involvement do you get to have with your boss's work or with the show? I really do feel like it depends on the showrunners. Sometimes I have worked on shows before where the showrunner is very... Like, you're the assistant, you're there to assist me, you have to prove your loyalty before you can pitch me anything or talk to me about the show. Whereas my current show, the showrunner is very, like I said, mentoring and open to discussions. And so since I do get CC'd on every draft and I do get to see every edit of every cut, sometimes I do have opinions and I kind of am like, oh, did you watch it yet? Did you feel like this move kind of slow? And then he's very much like a teacher at heart, I feel like. And so he's like, yes, it was slow. And this is why I think it was slow. And this is how I'm going to change it to make it better. And so it's almost like a master class in show running. In my experience, I was put in charge of a lot of the research on my show. So a lot of the research and a lot of the technical things that I would look into ended up turning into a couple of the episodes that we actually shot and wrote and everything. I kind of went in with the attitude, I want to take on as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I was given a lot of responsibility and I, I was able to contribute to this show in my own small way, I guess. And going to the writer's room side of things, how often do you get to sit in the room where it happens? On my show, I get to sit in pretty much whenever I have downtime. I have worked on other shows where you're not allowed in there. It is a very special place. Yeah. I've also worked on shows where the actual writer's room is so small that you cannot fit another person in there. <laughs> and so you sit outside and hope that you overhear some of it. <laughs> but yeah, it really does depend on the showrunner. It also depends on you speaking up for yourself. And maybe even though it may feel awkward, like asking, hey, in my downtime, is it okay if I sit in there? And just taking initiative because you're your own best advocate. Uh, I mean, my experience was the same. I, I was in the writer's room whenever I had downtime. And I think the way that I approached that is I would always ask my boss, where do you need me? And then he would say, oh, oh you know, you can be in the room or, oh, you know, can you uh, do X, Y, and Z? And that would kind of dictate where I went. But I, I spent a lot of time in the writer's room and got to see how everything was broken down. Ours was a very open writer's room. And I've heard of other shows where the writer's PA is not allowed. Even the showrunner's assistant works in a completely separate office. So I just want to briefly go through the different stages of production and then your involvement as a showrunner's assistant in each of them. So first up with prep, I don't know what stage you guys came into your shows, but can you talk a little bit about how a showrunner's assistant might be involved in the hiring process of the writers? Are you involved in staffing, reading samples for new seasons, meeting writers, all that kind of thing? I was actually hired after all the writers were selected. So a lot of the hiring decisions we made were directors, editors, special effects coordinators, post-production coordinators, a line producer, some above the line, some below the line, but all the writers had already been selected. So I've had two different experiences. So the current show I'm on, NCIS New Orleans, I was hired uh, when they were starting their fourth season. And thankfully, most things were already pretty much set up. I didn't have to like look for new office space. They already knew which writers they were bringing back and the few new writers that they were bringing on. So it was very smooth, very easy. When I worked on Outcast, however, <laughs> I got hired on that show when they were actually doing their mini room, which they had four writers brainstorming in a room together. And then we had to take a break for a few months while the network decided if they did want to pick it up. And then once they did, 
I was in charge of finding office space for us to work out of, which <laughs> oh, is you never fun. think you're yeah. going to be hunting for real estate as yep. an assistant, but you know, jack of all sure. trades. Um, and then you, along with that goes like, you know, you got to set up all the phone systems and you have to get internet and it's like terrible. Voice over IP. It's yeah. like you're moving yep. into a new apartment. Holy cow. Um, but then I also got to be a process of, uh, since I was CC'd on all the emails, you get CC'd on all the, the agents submitting all the writers and you get to see how that process goes. I never got to sit in on the meetings when he was interviewing the writers, but I got to, you know, sit outside and listen in, which was fun. It's always fascinating to read the scripts that eventually get people meetings. I participated a lot in the setting up of that. Mm-hmm. Are you the ones tracking down those references and uh, calling people to see? Uh, no, thankfully I didn't writer? have to <laughs> find any references. Um, but sometimes they actually, if the showrunner is so busy, sometimes they let you take charge of possibly hiring like the assistant staff. And you can be like, oh, I trust you to hire. Like if you want to interview people first and then send the ones you really like along to me, it's nice because you can help out your friends and you're like, oh, this person would be perfect for this job. And I am finally... <laughs> in a position where I can kind of help them. Uh, moving to the production and shooting side of things, how often do you get to be on set? And what are your duties while either you are there or your boss is there? I, I was never on set, so I didn't have any experiences like that. Again, we shot in New York, so I, I never went to New York. So on Outcast, we shot in South Carolina, and I got to go to set once a year. And the showrunner was fantastic, and production paid for it because he was like, you need this experience come out. I think also they were like getting bored of the same old people. And so he was like, <laughs> somebody new, come play with us. Um, so that was fun. And then on this show, we shoot in New Orleans. Like sometimes we even shoot in the French Quarter and it's insane. But I haven't had a chance to go to set. Just it's it's so busy. Um, but I do feel like if at some point I was dying to go to set, they might be able to pay for it and fly me out there. And when your boss is there, do you have more work to do, less work to do? How does oh, that work out? I love when they're on set. Because <laughs> there's so many assistants already on set that they're usually taken care of. And then also you don't have to track them down for meetings, especially if they're in a different city or whatever. They're usually staying at a hotel that's close to the production office. And so you don't have to be like, you have to hop on this call. There's a production meeting happening because they're in the city right there. They don't really have anything else to do except for work. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> Sounds like a bit of a different experience than say those shows that shoot in LA and like your offices are above the sound stage and you have to go down and like and all that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I guess if you're shooting in New York, that's a much more exciting place than like South Carolina. <laughs> you, I, mean, I guess so. You, you tell me. Yes, <laughs> I've never been yes. to South Carolina. <laughs> uh, okay. So what about the post-production process? How involved are you in that? Do you get to sit in on editing or mixing or watch the cuts and give your thoughts, things like that? I think it's always fascinating to see how different showrunners, like how much they want to be a part of post. Some of them, uh, the showrunner on Outcast, he really trusted the editors and trusted their cuts and the director's visions. And so he only spent a couple days in editing doing his cut. And when he was there, I could sit in a little bit, but I usually pretty busy during post. But on NCIS New Orleans, the current showrunner used to be an editor or he edited features in the past. And so he was very involved in editing and he has lots of opinions and he is very smart about like the language to use to get the best edit. And it's fascinating to watch him edit an episode and just like rip it apart and put it back together. And also sitting in the editing bay with the editors and the showrunner is a great way to get one-on-one time with them and like FaceTime and just bond with them and learn the editing craft. Yeah, that's true. I I spent a very minimal time in the editing bay, but usually when I was there, we would watch the cut and then the boss would say, hey, so what do you think? And I would give whatever notes I had and whatever kind of struck me in the moment. I'd say that the funny part of editing is that on most cable shows, the writer's office opens and then production starts. And so the writer's office closes. And as a showrunner's assistant, a lot of times you move into the same office as post. In my office, a lot of times the editors would come out and be like, oh, we need ADR and it needs to be a female's voice. And ADR is when they do temporary dialogue for the characters. And so, so many times on my show, since I was one of a few women who worked on it, they would come out and be like, you're a woman. (laughs) Um, But also on Outcast, which was about, you know, exorcisms and possessions, a lot of times the noises, they're like, okay, we need you to sound like you're dying. (laughs) It's like, oh my God. How yeah, many gurgles exactly. do you need? A- act it out. <laughs> yes. It's like, I'm not an actor. I don't want to do this. I've seen the same thing happen with PAs on set and that they become stand-ins. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, the AD's like, okay, you're my stand-in now. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> who are we going to get to be a PA then? <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, we brought in a bunch of interpreters because we have a bunch of languages on our show. And so uh, I did to sit in one of those meetings. It was interesting to see how they effed up on set some of the languages and they had to like read up some yes. of the elements. Did they use French? Why didn't they just use you? It was not French. It wasn't <laughs> French. I don't know, a bunch of other languages. Okay. <laughs> and then so are there any duties involved once the show is airing? Like, are you tracking down reviews and ratings? Are you doing like publicity or anything like that? <laughs> For me, not at all. I mean, we wrapped the room almost a year before it actually aired. So it was no publicity duties. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, currently. Um, so we are airing and shooting and writing all at the same time. And thankfully, CBS is really good about sending us our ratings because they want us to know. <laughs> <laughs> like some people. The benevolent but corporation. But I will say we are proudly one of the... I guess the top five network shows airing right now. So usually the ratings are pretty good. But it always amazes me how, like, for example, on Outcast, sometimes we'd get like, you know, a million viewers. And it was like, oh, my God, we've reached so many people. (laughs) And now that I'm on a network show, it's like, oh, you guys only reached 12 million viewers. And it's like, oh, my God. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, put it together. I can't believe so many people watch. Yeah, a million viewers is like a 0.8 or something. Like, yes, you know, it's like yes, exactly. Not even that much on ratings for weird reasons. <laughs> yeah. In terms of publicity and marketing, do they reach the publicist of your shorter? Do they go through the network? Do you know how that process goes? I remember, I believe we hired a publicist and I had some interaction with her, but it, it was... Very minimal again. Yeah, same with me. We don't really have much. I mean, CBS does have, obviously, their publicity department, and they're doing their own thing, advertising our show. Every so often, I do have to set up an interview with our showrunner and like, a newspaper or deadline or something like that, especially if we have a big musical act coming up or, like, a really amazing guest star that we want to make sure people know about. So regarding studio and network involvement with your show, can you walk us through all the different types of calls and notes meetings, production meetings, and so forth that you have to schedule and go through? I'm I'm racking my brain just to think of them all right now (laughs) because we had... So Marvel is not just one entity. It's Marvel Los Angeles, and then there's Marvel New York. So there's two levels of notes from the same studio. And then from there, we go to Netflix and we get notes. Sometimes a notes call, sometimes a notes email, and we'll get all the notes in one document. I feel like Netflix kind of wants their auteurs to be able to express their vision. So a lot of the times there's not too much meddling. Yeah, when I worked on Outcast, we had, I really do feel like we had a little bit too many cooks in the kitchen. We would have three different rounds of notes. So we would have a notes call with all the EPs on the show, and then we have a notes call with the studio, and then we'd have a notes call with the network. And a lot of times they all have differing opinions, and sometimes we'd have to take stuff out, and by the time it got to the network, they'd be like, what about this? And we'd be like, oh, we had that. (laughs) And so that was a very tedious, time-consuming process. On NCIS New Orleans, it is luxurious. The CBS Studios is our studio. CBS Network is our network. (laughs) We have one executive we get notes from. Awesome. And since we're fourth season and one of the top five, they feel confident that, I mean, my showrunner has a grasp on how to keep the show running. And so they trust his vision. While you were saying that, I, uh, I was realizing pitching to our studio was kind of a process because we would first pitch it to the local studio in Los Angeles. And then we would put together an outline and put together then a script and then wait for notes from all the entities. And we kind of had to climb up the ladder through that process. It was not one executive saying, oh, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And you did ask what kind of notes. And so we put out a concept sheet, which is like a two page idea of uh, the episode. Then we put out an outline and then we put out the script. And so it's very streamlined. Do you guys break? The whole season? For Outcast, I'm assuming you broke sort of the the macro stuff before. Yeah, actually on Outcast, we had to go to the network and pitch the whole season Mm -hmm. um, over a couple hours. But since it was so serialized, we definitely had to figure out where we were going before they approved us. So would you recommend trying to become a showrunner's assistant to other aspiring writers? And if so, why? What do you learn from it? Absolutely. If you can do it, do it. (laughs) But getting the job is very tough. As with any job in the writer's office, mostly all the jobs in the writer's office are you have to be kind of like a personal recommendation. You have to have some kind of connection with the show. And that's why it's good to whether you're at like a management company or production company or something and you want to somehow segue over is just to like build your network of people who want to vouch for you and want to recommend you. And eventually one of them may hear about a job opening on a show and will put you up for it. 
And also a lot of times for showrunner assistant jobs, well, you have to have previous assistant experience since it is such a demanding desk and it is all about scheduling and phones and keeping track of all aspects of the production. That's true. I think of the writer's assistant jobs as like Game of Thrones. Like all, somebody's always gunning for you. And you, you, you wouldn't believe how many calls and emails I got about, hey, does your boss need an assistant? I'm like, who do you think I am? Like, <laughs> You're talking to him. Yeah. You mean me? Uh, yeah, he, I think he's good for now. Um, but I'll let you know. If, <laughs> if I get fired yeah, Exactly. From like if there's any openings for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely recommend it because you get kind of an insider's view. When, when you're on the outside in Hollywood, you're constantly guessing. You're like, how do they do this? How do they put this together? How does a show get written? And once you're in, you know for certain, this is how people work. This is the research that they put into their projects. This is the process that we go through in a professional environment. And that can be really valuable for a young writer. A lot of writers take so much time with their scripts and, you know, it's never going to be the polished diamond that they want. And they're all, always one draft away from perfection. But when you're in the writer's room, you have 10 days to write a script, maybe. Sometimes you have two days to write it, <laughs> rewrite a whole script or one, one, yeah, one day to write it, rewrite a new script. And to understand the speed at which you need to write was extremely valuable for me, would be extremely valuable for anybody else who's an aspiring writer. And um, deadlines are so crucial because if you don't make a deadline, you can completely mess up the budget of the whole show because you have rentals and you're going to drive up the cost of your show just by not having your scripts in on time. And so that that was something that was extremely valuable for me to learn going into the room. Also, I'm going to just add that as a showrunner's assistant, it's like a learning experience on how to be a showrunner. And you actually come to learn that a showrunner is not just a writer. Like they have to be a professional problem solver and a delegator. And they have to deal with so many different personalities and somehow make everyone work together to create a show. What do you feel are the important skills that you've learned being a showrunner's assistant that you don't feel you would have learned in any other assistant positions, be the writer's assistant or the writer's PA and so forth? Well, since you do have access to post and production and you get to see all the communication with, like I said, costumes and art department and locations, you get to learn how much actually goes into the production part of it and the post part of it. Also, how a lot of times you can write a script where something so awesome happens and it's like, ah, oh, there's all the, there's this huge gunfight and like, we're going to have a thousand bullets and there's going to be holes everywhere. And then you listen to the production call and they're like, okay, you get five <laughs> bullet holes <laughs> and one explosion. And it's all, it's definitely a negotiation between the departments because they do have to hit their budget and you don't want to be the show that's like a million over budget by the time you wrap. I mean, that, that's right. You get a lot of access that you wouldn't get in another desk job. For me, it was about taking initiative. Uh, that's kind of what I learned is that you really need to take initiative and take as much off the boss's plate as possible without him or her asking. And if you can do that, then you become invaluable. You also have to, you know, just be psychic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you get, yeah, I, yeah. I think we both learned how to read minds. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or maybe, I, maybe we didn't. But <laughs> no, sometimes I do. I'm like, wow, am I a psychic? <laughs> so do you have any tips and tricks or advice that you would give to showrunners assistants who are maybe starting out their first job doing that i would say if you screw up don't uh get down on yourself like i've made mistakes and then gotten down on myself and then made more mistakes as a result <laughs> and i think that <laughs> i think that one of the most important things is that you're going into an environment especially if you're starting off as a showrunner's assistant you're going into an environment that you can't possibly know and it might be a, a different political environment than you've ever been in before and you're going to make mistakes and sometimes people will tell you and sometimes people will not tell you so when you do realize that you've made a mistake try to move on as quickly as possible from it and learn from that mistake yeah my biggest tip is don't underestimate the making of lists and to-do lists and things to do because my list and and i prefer writing them on a piece of paper because there's just something so satisfying about crossing it out but you're always going to have a very long to-do list sometimes things are on your list where it's like oh in a month i need to talk to this person and it's like, oh, yeah. how will I ever remember that in a month? And also making grids to keep track of like script progress and stuff like that, knowing what is going to come out when. Because nine times out of 10, somebody's going to be like, hey, do you know when new pages are coming out? Do you know when that outline is being turned in? Do you know if you got to that edit of that cut? And if you don't have some kind of grid or organization method to keep track of it, you'll be lost and probably make a mistake. <laughs> Lists are so valuable. I, we, <laughs> I used to have a Google Doc. 
And I told all the assistants, I'm like, hey, because like, they would always give me work to do. So I was like, all right, like, let's put it on this Google Doc. <laughs> Nobody else used the Google Doc. So <laughs> I was just like, yes. I'm going to take away all your access. And I'm just going to, you know, cross things out uh, digitally. Uh, exactly. I use strike through instead of the actual cross out. <laughs> How many writing paths do you go through just writing out? Well, I mean, you're going digital, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's something also satisfying to me about going through post-its where I'm like, all right, I get to use the blue post-its now. Uh, all the colors. I want to say uh, zero, zero. Yeah. Because everything was digital. You know, save, save a tree, save the planet. Exactly. Zero inbox. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> How do you balance working these super long hours and writing your own scripts and working on your own projects. I do feel very lucky that I don't work insane hours. I feel like if you work in the production office, you're more likely to keep the same hours as set. And that's like 12, 14, 16 hour days, which I have actually worked as an office PA as well. And those were grueling days where you just are fried and you're like, I wake up, go to work, go home, sleep. And that's your life. Thankfully on my show, I do find some downtime throughout the day to sometimes work on my own things. Also, it helps if your boss is supportive of you becoming a writer. And a lot of times they're like, in your downtime, you should be writing. And there's something really cool if you're working on a script and they pass by and they're like, oh, is that your script? And you're like, yes, it is. Hopefully I can send it to you. <laughs> But yeah, so thankfully... My routine is I actually get up early and write before I go into work because that's when I feel like I'm less fried and that way I spend most of my creative juices on my own thing and then whatever's left over, I give to my assistant job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll preface with, I used to work at Gaumont in on the financial side. So my job was more accounting, more operational, and that was a nine to six job. So the way I dealt with it there was at six o'clock every night, I would check out and I would go either into a, an office that was unoccupied in our office space and I would write for about three hours before I went home or I would go to the lobby of the Pacific Design Center and write three hours and I wouldn't go home until nine o'clock. When I was in the writer's room, you know, they there are writer's rooms. Most writer's rooms encourage their assistants to write a lot. But then if you can be in the room, you can get an experience in the room that you can't get anywhere else. So the way that I did that was I sat in the writer's room or did my work until about six, six thirty, And then I would play basketball games at night. So before I left for my basketball games, I would sit and write and I probably wrote five scripts last year. So, oh, I mean, it's, awesome. it's just, you have to monopolize the, the free time that you get. And I think when you compress that time, you start to focus and you start to write a little bit more and a, with a little bit more fury and a little bit more hunger because you're like, these are my writing hours. So I'm not going to be on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, one of the million distractions that I can potentially be on. Yeah, I can do that during uh, the day as a short assistant. <laughs> so yeah, tell us a little bit more about your own writing and what you guys have been up to with that. So I write dramas and I currently just been focusing on writing original specs. And I have a couple original pilots. I've been submitting specs to all the fellowships. I think I'm going on my fifth year, but I still do it. Yeah. yeah. Hold out hope. You'll make it this year. I know. Maybe this is my year. I have to do it again. And so it's mostly I just try and kick out as much original content as I can. I also am very lucky because I do have an agent at Abrams Artists and she's amazing and she does submit my scripts to networks and studios. And so I do have general meetings. I also am very lucky that my show, you know, encourages me to have meetings. Usually I try and set them before work or after work because taking it a couple hours out of my day to go to a meeting is not yeah. functional. Shout out to Manal, who is also my agent. <laughs> I don't know. Most of the stuff I'm right right now, I just think of as like amazing samples that can like get me in the door or get me noticed. And you know, if somebody wanted to develop one of them, I'm not opposed. <laughs> you wouldn't nope. stop that process. Wouldn't say no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm in the same boat. This will be, I think, my fifth or sixth year applying to the fellowships <gasps> as well. I, so I, good. Yeah, th exactly. It's I got my fingers hear, crossed for this but... <laughs> year. <laughs> uh, I try to write every day. So I, I probably, last year I wrote five scripts on my own and I started to get meetings with managers, meetings with agents, and I'm still currently unwrapped. But I recently sold a script and it was announced in deadline that it's getting produced <gasps> in March of 2018. Congratulations. Oh, Yay. Yes. Thank you so much. So hopefully I will get repped somewhere. And until then, my goal this year is to write 12 scripts. And wow. I would One like a month. Damn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you shoot, in shoot fact, for the moon. Zim is writing a script right now. <laughs> Put it's away fun. that computer. I, I, say, I say aim high. Aim as high as possible. And I try to write about Indian American experience and try to take the coolest things about Indian culture and turn them into something that I think could be a cool show. 
So what are some of your future projects? What are you working on next? So I'm on NCIS and I am hoping it doesn't get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, um, top five shows. I uh, know. It's actually one of the first jobs on a show that I've had where I'm like, I think I'm good. I think it's going to go <laughs> next season. <laughs> and so there's something really nice in that kind of stability, which when you're in cable, it's like, oh, you're on a show for a couple months and then you're hunting for the mm -hmm. next job. I will say that being an assistant on a show doesn't really pay a lot. And so I do have side gigs that I continue to do. And also I have a fear that even someday soon I will become unemployed again for who knows why. And I, <laughs> so I just accumulate side jobs just in case. Sid is a job hoarder. <laughs> hey, hey. Can you talk about any of those? I'm curious about what your side hustles might be. So in the past, I've done everything from like lift driving to cleaning houses, everything like that. I also do transcribing where I type up reality show interviews. Uh, and it's amazing because I can do it from home in my pajamas. Mm -hmm. And then I also do like pet sitting and house sitting. So it runs the gamut. Well, I'll talk a little bit about my feature. So the feature was about four guys in college that can't get laid. It's it's a retelling of American Pie for the millennial generation, kind of with an anti-bullying undertone that I think that's why it really got sold. I wrote a script about a chess prodigy who gets involved in the New York underground crime scene. And my most recent script is kind of an Indian historical drama that marries Indian history with Hindu mythology. And I'm going to try to use it as a sample to get on this new Lord of the Rings show. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of crime, a lot of like, I love Game of Thrones. So hopefully my next TV show is somewhere in the dark, dramatic or prestige drama space. What about your writing, Sydney? The script that actually got me my agent and most of my meetings around town is actually about transcribing, which is one of my part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. I and mean, it's about a legal transcriber who uh, her husband is murdered a year previously and they can't find the guy who did it. A year later, she's typing up like a 911 call and she recognizes the voice of the caller as the man who killed her husband. And so she decides to dive into the criminal underworld that she's typed up for so long and try and find out who the murderer is. So that's the one that actually got me the most attention around town and won some competitions and stuff. Since then, I, for some reason, became obsessed with like mythology and wanting to write a fantasy one, which so hard. World building is so hard. Shout out to anyone who yeah. can do it and shout, do it well. Shout out, shout out to my boy Tolkien, <laughs> <laughs> yes. who dropped the Ill illest like you know a, a few, few uh, centuries ago. <laughs> he dropped oh the illest Silmarillion. Back to back to back. <laughs> Sorry, Sid. No, no, no. That's Don't amazing. edit that out. <laughs> Keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> so the mythology heavy one I was writing was about a, a girl who was estranged from her father and her father eventually passed away and she inherited like this amusement park in a small town and she comes to learn that the amusement park is actually a gateway to another world and she's one of the last guardians of the gateways. Lots of mythology. It was really fun to write. But after doing that one, I was like, no more mythology. <laughs> I was like, it, it, so it, really, it really is tough because you, you're trying to figure out how these creatures interact with people and what, you know, how these people are going to react when they see the creatures. It's like, you know, Game of Thrones, obviously they, they know that winter is coming and they don't know the white walkers are coming, but <laughs> you really do have, you really have to build that up. You have to make sure that it's kind of grounded in whatever world that you're building and making it feel new and fresh and not just like another vampire trope or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do have a story about vampires. No, I'm not Exactly. Like, you know, they're in high school. <laughs> I met one yesterday. Uh, what about Lucid, Sydney? I know. That was another one. I, I also worked on another mythology heavy one that was about, I was fascinated for a little bit about like uh, dream walking and being lucid in your dreams. And I just tried so hard to incorporate that somehow in a pilot and I, I don't think the time to write it is now so i put it aside mm. and in a few years i'll take it out and take another whack at after it. all the notes i've given you <laughs> over the years, know, you, you really destroyed it she was like no forget it i don't want to do it anymore it. um but i'm actually i'm super excited about a new project i'm working on now that's going to be about female engineer who starts college she's a freshman in college and she wants to find a way to get noticed by these big engineering companies. And she, I don't know if you guys know what Baja racing is or formula racing. In college, there's teams of engineers that design either a Baja car or a formula racing car. So they create it from concept. They build all the, a lot of times they build the tools, they build the structure and the chassis and stuff like that. And then they race it around the world. And so 
This is about a girl who is an engineer at a college, and she discovers that back in the 80s, it had an amazing Baja racing team. And she decides to reinvent it. You know, she has her motley crew of girls who are working on the Baja car, and then they go around the world racing it and, you know, showing that women are awesome. Nice. (laughs) What would you say is your kind of end goal or dream job in the industry? Some combination between showrunner and studio head, if that makes sense. I guess kind of the role that Greg Berlanti is playing on his own projects or, you know, obviously JJ Abrams is, you know, producing his own projects as well and kind of letting other people helm his newer projects. I think that if I can write a script and produce a script a year, that would be amazing. It's it's some sort of combination between writer, producer. I I tell everybody that I meet that I want to try to be uh, the screenwriting Steph Curry. So, you know, change change up the paradigm a little bit and see where these new projects can land. Yeah, I feel like my dreams are very similar. I would love to eventually be a showrunner. The idea of starting my own production company and helping other writers, I would love to do that as well. I still, from my college days, love features and would love to somehow be running a show. And then, you know, in my hiatus, just like write and produce a feature. (laughs) Sounds like we might have a new paper team right here. (laughs) Coming soon. All right, before we go, we got a couple last questions. So what are you guys watching on TV right now? And what gets you excited and inspired? I mean, I just finished Mindhunter. That was really exciting for me. I mean, it was so, I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but it was a very tense, suspenseful show that kind of delves a lot with psychology. I've been kind of watching a lot of the classics, like The Wire, The Sopranos, and then new stuff. I mean, I love loved The Americans, Better Call Saul is... I mean, it's so interesting to see a con man as a lawyer. I don't know if that's like too much of a fish out of water, but I've, I've really enjoyed Better Call Saul. Obviously loved uh, Breaking Bad. Fargo has been really strong. And then, I mean, it's I, I love drama and uh, that's kind of my specialty. But as far as comedies, I really liked American Vandal, uh, which was kind of you know, a, spoof, a spoof of all these uh, true crime stories. And yeah. it was was really well done and yeah. really hilarious. Big Mouth was another really funny one. Taking all the good ones. Really? <laughs> and I, I like my, I mean, I, I, lo- I love Daredevil. I would have, wouldn't have worked at Marvel without Daredevil because that was the, that was the first thing that I saw that just like blew me away. You, you, you yeah, I will yeah, say. I don't want to so, steal everything. So many of those. I've also been watching Big Mouth. So funny. Okay. I've also, well, you listed a lot of the ones I'm watching, but um, also the... Marvelous Miss Maisley. Oh, I oh, love yeah, that so show. Good. I binged it in like one day. It's yeah. phenomenal. I have phenomenal. like two episodes left and I'm just like, oh, I want so more now. Yeah. Um, I've also been watching The Ozark, which is like a fun, after Breaking Bad wrapped, I'm like, oh, this will mm-hmm. fill the space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought That's it was good. really well done. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like recently a lot of my friends are getting the screeners and stuff like that. So I've actually been watching more features and especially with MoviePass, that's been easier. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I love... Well, I know we were talking about TV, but I can yeah. features. I I loved three billboards. That was like, I hope that wins. I love it so much. <laughs> I, I I like my own shows as well. Like I love Narcos, mm-hmm. even though I I didn't work on it in the creative side, but I so I'm allowed to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to be like, yeah, watch season four of Narcos. Yeah. Uh, and Hannibal was like, it was like an experience. I'm trying to think what else. Watch it on I, screen and be like, I gave that guy money to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> or you're like, that's all our money bought? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? I mean, I lo- love Family Guy, the old school stuff. Like, love Family Guy. Uh, I love rewatching Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. I yes. love Dexter. I'm just yeah. getting into Dexter and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Um, Have you seen season four yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. Oh, boy. <laughs> And yeah, I think that's everything on TV, right? I think you pretty much right. everything. Oh, and Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm actually rewatching Game of Thrones right now. Oh, really? And it's fascinating. Well, first of all, it's good because it started so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that I've forgotten so much of what's happened. <laughs> um, like I just watched the season finale of season five. No spoilers. Oh, wow. my God. Okay. No all spoilers. Right. But um, it's cr- it was I was re-watching it at the same time as I was watching this newest season. And so it was fascinating being like, oh, they're still, the writers do remember and they are tying in things from the previous season still. And it, it's such an amazing show. The North remembers. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys have any resources, be it books, podcasts, apps, whatever it is for Shorner's assistance, as well as 
potential TV writers. I feel like the best resource as a writer is just consuming as much media and content as possible because you never know where your next idea is going to come from, whether it's reading newspaper, well, blogs and stuff, newspapers. <laughs> newspapers, what are um, those? I don't know. I, I definitely feel like also reading the normal Hollywood, like uh, Hollywood Reporter and Deadline is good. So you can always keep up to date on what projects are being picked up. Also, because you never know, maybe your friend just got announced that they sold a pilot. Never know. <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> Classic Monday. Um, but also listening to podcasts and reading books that could maybe become IP. And I always just encourage, like, the best writer is the one who reads and understands mm -hmm. words and story. And you can learn that from books, TV, features. Story is story. Characters are characters. I mean, that, that's all right. And I think that I don't know if there's one particular resource. I've, I've taken a lot of uh, writing classes at UCLA Extension and the writing pad. They're not paying me to say that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know that it's yeah, exactly. You know, it's real. And I think I don't really know any resources. I think the best thing for a, an aspiring showrunner's assistant or an aspiring writer uh, in that case is just to write as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Just write so many things and get as much feedback as possible because eventually somebody's going to like you and say, hey, so what, where's your script? And your first script is probably not going to be good enough. Or maybe it is. Who knows? Maybe you get it right on the first time. But most likely, you're going to need to rework and rewrite until your sample is good enough. Or you're going to need to find mentors that can help you to get it to that level. But none of it happens if you don't start. And that, I think that's probably the most... People told me that when I was younger, and I wish that that was the thing that I had just focused on instead of trying to be a PA on film sets. I wish I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And now that's kind of what I'm doing this year. Yeah. It's the timeless advice from Tommy Wiseau on Twitter. Yeah. You may have seen recently. Start. Some, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he and I go way back. <laughs> I gave him a few notes. No, just, no, I had nothing to do with that movie. Wait, is that the vampire you met? <laughs> Call back. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen. And thank you to our guests for coming. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 76. And we would love if you could leave us some reviews. You can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews will make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, and thanks again to our sponsor, the 2018 Tracking Board Launchpad Pilots Competition. Paper Team listeners can use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word at the checkout, to save $15 off their entry. And you can learn more about all the Launchpad's current competitions and exclusive partners by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TVCalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Are you guys on Twitter? At Zimron Jacob. I'm not on Twitter. Can we find you anywhere else, or would you prefer to not be found? To a website, no, no. Instagram, Snapchat, <laughs> nothing. I do have an Instagram, but it's not. It's, it's not it's active. It's just filled with fun. You write all your social media out on like physical paper pads. <laughs> <laughs> status update. Yes. Send me a smoke <laughs> and hand it to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if you have any thoughts, feedback, opinions about this awesome episode, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we're going to be doing a TV scene case study. We've selected a few scenes from some of our favorite TV comedies and TV drama episodes, and we'll do a deep dive into what makes them so compelling. It's the vampires, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. See you then.